you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Galatians chapter 5. I will be reading 16 through 25 today, and I will be preaching verses 24 and 25 today. That will be the passage when we get there. I will then ask you to stand. We'll read that in reverence to God's Word, a short prayer, and then we'll launch into the proclamation of those two verses for the edification of us and the evangelization of a world so desperately needing grace upon grace. A vivid picture can change an ordinary people by capturing their hearts and in so doing change their entire world. When she was only four years old, Mabinti Mangura saw a picture that changed her entire life. It was a time when she was living in an orphanage in Sierra Leone. The civil war there had decimated her family. Her dad was murdered brutally. Her mother was starved to death. And at this point, little Mabinti had only images that filled her life of violence and desire. But one day, one day the wind blew a Western magazine against the fence of her orphanage. In that magazine, she saw a glossy picture. Mabinti found this image that pierced her imagination. There was a lady on it. She was on her tippy toes in this pink Beautiful tutu. Mabinti had never seen anything like this in her life. A costume that stuck out with glitter on it. She could just see the beauty in that person and the hope and the love and the just everything that she did not possess. The poverty-stricken child was so smitten, she ripped this glossy picture out of the magazine and folded it up and hid it in her underwear. Every night in an exercise that was almost devotional, she would take the picture out of her hiding place, she would unfold it, and she would look at this glossy picture of this beautiful woman in a pink tutu, and she would gaze. This is what I want to be, she thought. The image of the glittering ballerina with all her grace became an inspiration to her that represented freedom. An American couple adopted her and changed her name to Michelle the Prince. Michelle settled in New Jersey where she showed not only passion for being a ballerina but also talent. And in 2012, when she was only 17 years of age, Michelle signed a contract with the Dance Theater of Harlem as a professional ballerina. It was a 12-year journey, all propelled by a picture. Last week, some of you were here, and we looked at what the Apostle Paul called the fruit of the Spirit verses 22 and 23. 
And what we saw in this picture of the fruit of the Spirit, captivatingly, was this massive orchard, this gorgeous garden, that in the back of the Apostle Paul's mind was like the Garden of Eden being transformed in the present. And so the Apostle Paul took verses 19 through 21 and juxtaposed it or put it side by side with verses 22 and following to show that out of this barren desert war zone of Galatians 5, 19 and following, the works of the flesh, he puts forth his spirit, he puts forth his word, and out comes this beautiful garden imagery. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. We noticed that it was the fruit of the Spirit. We noticed that this word picture was created by His word as the local church. A foretaste of the new creations that are coming when Jesus Christ splits the skies and comes back to transform the whole cosmos into the new heavens and the new earth. This small little picture, an hors d'oeuvre of the banquet, a little foretaste of the goodness and grace of God, is a little patch of light and life and love known as a Christ-treasuring, Bible-believing, people-loving kind of local church. Yes, I just described Veritas. And this little patch of light and life and love is starting to grow in the midst of dark, decadence, desert-like wasteland. And this picture, if it grips our hearts, can propel us and by His Spirit watch this garden begin to sprawl out into the brownness of the desert and transform it into verdant, garden-like life of love, joy, peace, patience. So that's where we left off last week that Paul was characterizing the fruit of the Spirit, and that was supposed to rivet us with this vivid picture that will compel us into what we're going to look at today. We're not going to characterize so much the fruit of the Spirit this time. We're going to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, and this will take work. And so if you stand with me, please, God's holy word We'll start in Galatians 5, verse 16. For those of you who are looking into the White Bible, that would be on page 567. Hear now God's precious word, starting up in chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, and jealousy, and fits of anger, rivalries, and dissensions, and divisions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and things like These I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we are led by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, in the latter part of verse 23 and on into 25, talks about how to bear much fruit. The big idea for last week and this week is supposed to get your mind thinking a little bit because it sounds like a paradox, and it is. It looks like a contradiction on the surface, but as we move into it more so, you start seeing that it's not a contradiction, but it rather comes together in a beautiful unity. Here's the big idea. The crucified life is a life of freedom bearing the fruit of the Spirit. So last last week we want to see what the fruit of the Spirit is. This week we want to go into this paradoxical lifestyle of the crucified life is the life of freedom. How does chapter 5 start off? It starts off with verse 1. And it says, For He has called us to freedom, but do not turn this freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but rather serve one another as the chapter unfolds. So Paul wants to look at the crucified life as a life of freedom, and he's going to say that it's going to take something of us. We have to believe a certain truth, And we have to participate in a certain activity. So let's pick up where we left off last week. We'll start in with the latter part of verse 23, looking at cultivating this fruit. And what we're saying, first of all, is we need to believe a certain truth in order to cultivate this kind of fruit here at Veritas. Picking up in the part of verse 23, it says, Against such things... There is no law. Then verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have, and then you get into the verb, you get into the activity. I want us to pause right there and just look at this reality. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's code language for the Apostle Paul to say you are mysteriously united by faith to Christ. Right? I, I hope you have heard that kind of teaching before. If you have read the Bible a little bit, particularly Paul and John, or actually the whole New Testament, you see a lot of this in, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is born and grows not by law, but by the cross. We must believe that in order to see fruit develop and sprawl out here in Dayton. What does that mean? Well, this mysterious union with Christ, belonging to Jesus Christ, is from eternity past 
The sovereignty of God has chosen a people for Himself to make a name for Himself. And He did so by choosing them, electing them, and putting them conceptually into Christ. He sends forth His Son to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we should have died and was raised in triumphant victory. And then He sends forth the Spirit and He causes His people to come alive and they put their faith in Jesus and now they're united. Mysteriously, in the incarnational life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, glorification of Jesus Christ. That's positional truth. That's a propositional statement. Our hearts are to say, yes, I believe that I'm united by faith to Jesus Christ. And all that He earned, He earned for me. All that He is, He is for me. All that I am, I am in Christ. God the Father, the Holy One of the universe, looks upon us and says, Righteous, just like I look at my Son, in whom I have my full delight. That must permeate and penetrate our imagination. It must grip and hold our hearts. Otherwise, this work that we're about to look at will go into legalism. So the positional truth is first and foremost what we need to hear. We're belonging to Christ. We're united mysteriously, vitally, organically in the incarnation of Jesus. I can't explain it, but I can declare it. This is the word of the Lord. Absolutely. That's positional truth. Now participational truth is where we're going. And then he starts looking at people belonging to Christ. And what does he say? He says there's one activity that Veritas must be participating in in order to see love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control move out through them into people who so desperately need the fruit of the Spirit, namely us and out from us to Dayton. What is that activity is our primary focus today. This activity comes in two forms, similar to a coin that has two sides. It's one activity, but we'll look at one side and then we'll flip it over and look at the other side of this participatory activity in Christ that we must do in order to see the cultivation of this gorgeous garden called Veritas. The first one is crucify your flesh. You read that? You see that? Right there at the uh, end of 24, it says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we'll take a look at that verb, crucify, and then we'll take a look at the object of that, namely the flesh. First, have crucified. So something in the past happened that had action and activity that comes into the present. There's a continuity. Have crucified, are crucifying, will crucify until we see Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing activity. Crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucify is the most barbaric, torturous form of capital punishment known to humanity. 
It's what it is. So if you have a little cross dangling around your neck, I'm not looking at you and pointing my finger at you, but it's not jewelry. This is the most barbaric form of capital punishment known to all of humanity. Crucifixion takes a criminal and puts him or her on a cross and stakes the feet down and then the arms out and then leaves them to do what? Bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed when birds come and start pecking and and bleed and bleed. But bleed out is not what actually kills the criminal generally. It's called asphyxiation, suffocation. I can't imagine this form of death where the criminal has an ability to push himself up in order for the diaphragm to be relaxed and now get a deep breath. But the pain in the legs and the feet and the whole body is so much that they have to start sagging and they can't get any breath. And then they push up and they gasp and then they have to come down and gasp and gasp until finally it's cut off and they suffocate a brutal death. Our Savior did that for you. In Him, now, you are to do that to your flesh. Many things can come out of pondering this, but crucifixion is slow and inevitable death. You cannot get out of it. (laughs) If you leave here this morning saying, I have a pet sin that I'm not ready to look at regarding this passage... You're thinking in your mind that you can jump down off of the cross. You are staked there if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. And you are crucifying the flesh with the passions and desires. It's slow. I get it. You have besetting sins. I do too. I hate them. I want them out of my life. This is indwelling sin that will stay here until we see the glorious face of Jesus Christ. I understand that. But never, ever yield to your sin. You declare war on your sin. You never coddle it. You never cozy up to it. You never say, I'm tired of fighting. You put the crosshairs right on it and you kill it. You kill your sin. You crucify your sin slowly squeezing the very life breath of the sin out of your flesh. That's what he's saying. But it's not just crucify sin, crucify flesh, right? That's real abstract. Have you ever said, um, I hate my sin and I'm repenting from my sin? I have. But that means absolutely nothing because it's so ethereal, it's so abstract it's, it's, just, it's just like, what am I even turning away from? He then says flesh with its corresponding, and here it is, passions and desires. So now we take this aggressive, urgent, wartime 
approach to sin, and we put the crosshairs right on passions and desires. Now, what are passions and desires? The, the best I could do as I'm working through this passage is it almost looks like the Apostle Paul is putting out synonyms, maybe for emphasis, passions and desires. When you do the word search, when you look at Pauline use of these words, they just look really interchangeable. Possibly it's like this. Passions would be appetites, a, a hanker, a I really, really got to have dot, dot, dot. It's just a passion. Desires, similar, their, their wants. Maybe the passion would move more towards an unauthorized pleasure, you know, an immoral thing. And desires would be more of a good thing that's morphed into a bad thing. Not quite for sure, but they're overlapping. And here's where it gets good for us in regards to successful, holy living. And that is, when we declare war on our sin, generally, this is my sense, we usually go out to habits, behavior, lifestyle, resolutions. I ain't going to do that thing anymore. I'm going to do this, the do. But he moves it right into the heart. So yes, there's going to be things out here that will be dealt with. But when this one is squeezed of its oxygen, out here starts dwindling. Does that make sense? And so the passions and desires, what are they? Well, let's put it this way. Think of something you really want. It could be a good thing. If we treat a good thing as an ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. We understand that. Okay, so, so we've got something in our mind. And now we need to start moving towards what does it look like to crucify the passions and the desires. So there's a lot of illustrations of this. I could unzip and show you my life, and these would be uh, illustrations of this. But, but take this one. I believe that everyone in this room wants to be successful. I really do. So think of it. I want to be successful as a, and now you have a blank. I want to be successful as a mommy. I want to be successful as a dad. I want to be successful as a pastor. I want to be successful as a professional, and you're in your profession now. I want to be successful neighbor. I want to be a successful, you fill in the blank. Are those bad things in and of themselves? Please shake your heads, no. But when a desire moves into a demand that moves into desperation, that moves into dangerous territory, it morphs, it mutates, it, gets, it dilates into this monster in the heart. And we will sin to get it or sin when we don't get it. And so this is what it might look like. I want to be a successful pastor, just for the record. You can write that down. Dan Turner wants to be a successful pastor. So your question, this would be for you, but for me as an illustration, would be asked, well, Dan, why do you want to be a successful pastor? And so I'd say, well, 
I want to be a successful pastor because that's all I've dreamt about since I've been a believer in Jesus Christ over 33 years ago. Great. Why do you want to be a successful pastor? Well, because I, um, I studied for many years in order to be that. Why did you study many years in order to be that? Well, um, it, it, it takes uh, skill and um, intelligence. Why do you want skill and intelligence? Well, I told you I want to be a, a good pastor. Why do you want to be a good pastor? Well, because it helps people. Why do you want to help people? Well, that's silly. Of course I want to help people because they, they get helped and they, they, they are happy then and they look at me and they thank me. Why do you want people to be happy with you and look at you and thank you? Well, uh, who doesn't? I mean, it just feels good. Why does it feel good? Do you see what I'm doing? I'm just taking one step down into the cellar each time I say why until I finally get to the floor of the reason. That's the desires and the passions. Why, Dan, do you want to be a good pastor? Among all the good things, there's a pulsating heartbeat of, I want to be accepted, loved, appreciated. Dan, why do you want to be appreciated and loved and accepted? Now we're at the epicenter. It's because I don't believe that Jesus Christ did it all for me. I don't believe that I'm truly, fully, utterly, finally favored by the Holy God of Israel. I need you to love me, and I'll do anything and everything to achieve that. That's a passion and a desire that has been good, that morphed and mutated into this mutinous desire that needs to be killed in order to be a successful, and then you fill in the blank. Think about your life. You have one. As we move through this, perhaps God will illumine that and draw it to your attention to where it's surfaced so you can get at it. Well, the Apostle Paul says that we need to believe a certain truth, and that is vital, mysterious, organic union with the incarnate Christ. We belong to Him, and now we're raging war against anything that would wage war against the King of our salvation, namely Jesus Christ. And what we've seen so far is we need to crucify our flesh with its desires. And But now He shifts. And now, if that's a, a war, this one is going to be a worship. We worship our way out of this mess. If that is a negative, this will be a positive. War against the flesh. And now look with me at what he says. If you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You see that? And so, what he is saying here is if you live by the Spirit... If you live, that means regeneration. By the Spirit, you are born again. You are alive from the dead. You're not spiritually dead anymore. You're spiritually alive by the Spirit. If you are alive, then you need to do something. And then he says, walk by the Spirit. Now, please hang in there with me. Most English versions will use one English word for two Greek words here. How many... A show of hands, in 25, does it say walk by the Spirit? That's the verb, walk by the Spirit. 
One, two, three, some don't want to participate. They think they're going to be called on. Five, six, seven, eight. Okay, anyone have anything else but walk by the Spirit? What do you have? <laughs> what are you reading? Okay. No, seriously? Pardon me? They changed it then. Okay, well, that's my point. Is that right? Okay, so um, applause to ESV. I love ESV. I'm not here to badger any translation and uphold one translation, but ESV is awesome. Um, and, and they did something, so they, they caught it. Um, walk by the Spirit. If you look at verse 16, it's a different word that generally means um, a general lifestyle. Walk by the Spirit. But then he moves into 25, and he says, keep in step with or be in line with the Spirit. So if you look at that carefully, it, it, it has this um, information kind of feel to it. Um, the, way, the way I was going to illustrate it, yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. I was in the military, and, and we had to stand at attention, and there's 50 of us. It looks like a little block of humanity, and you look the same, and then it's formation, right? So the company commander says, um, how did he start it off? Attend, hut. And then he says, left, 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 right, left. I want your left, left. And you go, hmm, hmm. There was a guy named Freddie. I absolutely loved Freddie, but he was a disaster. My son would call him a dweep. He just couldn't quite get his feet together. And so when we're doing left, left, he'd be hitting the right. And, and so you have 49 in unison and Freddie. And the commander would stop and scream and Eddie would have to come out and he would just totally belittle this, this young man, calling him every name in the book and say, get back and get into unison. Keep in step with the cadence of my word. Ready, begin, left. Left, left, right. Could it be that that's similar to this word? And when we're out of step, it's noticeable. Here's a point. Primarily, if we understand this passage to mean corporate unity, not just a bunch of individuals, right? When we're in corporate unity, when we're in this block, we're together, and when we're not in step with the Spirit, it's very noticeable. Or how about a dance? Lisa and I have not done ballroom dancing. And maybe as we get older, perhaps, perhaps we can do that. And we can get some education on it. And then, and then her beautiful elegance is in my arms. And then we, we do the steps, right? I will step on her feet and I will stumble. I'm not keeping in step with the actual steps of an actual dance. A dance has actual steps. Corporate United in Christ, Christianity has steps, and they keep in step with the Spirit-enabled lifestyle. Does that make sense? So we do war on our passions, and we keep in step with the Spirit, and these two forms, along with believing propositional truth, create this garden, Edenic, wonderful, paradisiacal, glorious fruit-bearing local church. And then we have a lot of work to do of killing sin 
and keeping in step with the Spirit. I want to close this morning the way I opened this morning. And this little girl, this little girl named Mabinti, was locked into poverty, locked into hopelessness, until a picture waffled in and she grabbed it and she was dazzled by the reality. Oh, may the fruit of the Spirit be such a picture that will hold you and captivate you and move you, ordinary people, to change their entire world. This longing, this picture we need to be smitten by is the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So much so that we're willing to sell everything that we have invested in other stories so that we can possess the pearl of great price. We want to showcase for Dayton this botanical beauty of Christ. As this picture grows deep in our hearts, it becomes a vivid picture of sacrificial love, Christian joy, and spirit-filled intimacy. How can we take these two weeks, how can we take 16 through 25, condense it, boil it down, and give you something that perhaps you will recall and recite in your own life as we collectively, together, try to understand the way of freedom. And so, it might come up on the, on the uh, screen, I don't know. But it's an acronym that I created a couple days ago as I was thinking about when Jesus said we have call, He has called us to freedom. So I began to look at the word freedom and began to develop this acronym. This is a way, a strategy for cultivating the fruit of the Spirit of a crucified life is a life of freedom. First, focus on Christ. We are called out of death and out of depravity and out of devilish-like and out of damnation into Christ. We are to focus on Christ through the elements of the Lord's table, through community gathering, through the proclamation of the Word, through reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible. We scour to look for whom? Jesus Christ. Once we see Him, we then relish His beauty. Jesus Christ is not a subject to be studied. He is an actual person to deeply fall in love with and to be dazzled by His exquisite nature. Fully and utterly majestic, fully and utterly meek and humble, and the two of them divine and human, come together into the God-man. He is astounding, and we are to look at His beauty and relish His beauty. Number one and two are to reflect a worship here at Veritas. Three and four are to talk about war here at Veritas. First is execute known sin. I say known because sin, we never sin in abstract. (laughs) We never do. It's very personal. It's very punctual. We do it in a time, in a place, in a space, and we do it. We feel it. We execute it. We, we are to look at it 
intelligently. We are to find it in the passions and desires, and we are to execute known sin. Don't play with sin. Don't try to manage sin. Don't try to curb it and keep it out of sight from people. Kill it. And then enter gospel goodness. Oh, beloved, if you're not rehearsing the good news of great joy found in Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the good news of great joy, the gospel itself, you will shrivel, you will shrivel in this war. Fight sin with the beauty of the Lord and go into that and rehearse that gospel regularly, ongoingly for your heart. That is war. So we have worship, the first two, the second two, war. And now all of this takes us into a church-centric living. And so the D is dedicate, don't date. It's so easy to enjoy things and then just flit away. Look at Veritas of Dayton, or if you are a guest here and you're leaving here, may God's grace go with you. Find a Bible-believing, Christ-treasuring, people-loving local assembly and dedicate. Don't just dabble. D, now you have the O in here, and you're offering others fruit. In this community, you're going to find people who are sad. You're going to find people who are mad, you're going to find people who are depressed, are lust-filled, are anxious, well, then give them fruit. God's enabling excess life of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness. Find them. You will find them initially in your home or your dormitory. You'll see them at work. You'll see them in this community. You'll see them right here in this cafeteria. Find someone and offer others fruit. And beloved, doing this regularly, relationally, ongoingly by the power of the Holy Spirit, Veritas will look way, way different in the backdrop of the dark East Dayton. And all of this is to redound to the praise of His glory and His grace. Join us as we magnify the supreme work of Jesus Christ here in and through Veritas Community Church. Let's pray. Oh, gracious one, left to ourselves, we would not listen to anything like this. We would run from you and we would redefine the word freedom and we would be in utter bondage within a week. Thank you for breaking our shackles. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for adopting us, putting us into Christ so we can taste and see it. The Lord is good and, and experience this kind of freedom. Bless us now as we lift our eyes and voices to you. In Christ's name, amen.